This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org to discover more shows like this one. The darkness awaits. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mixing just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries, eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host, Jerry and Tracy Pauly, and their dog Ninja. Hi everyone, that's Jessica, and that's Shelby, and together we host Heckle and Shide, a paranormal crime-filled podcast mixed with serial killers, conspiracies, and magic, things that go bump in the night, and everything crazy, and a special thanks to Hillbilly Horror Stories for for keeping keeping us up at night. night. Hey guys, welcome to episode 128 of Hillbilly Horror Stories, I'm Jerry, I'm Tracy, and we've got two very cool stories from a continent, not just a country, but a continent that we've never done a story from in two and a half years. Oh, where is it? Africa. Very cool. And we really narrowed it down since um, we did it all from South Africa, so we stuck Mm -hmm. to the same country. These stories are kind of in honor of our two South African listeners that came and um, visited us in Nashville, Becky and Donald. So Yes. Hey, guys. We sure have been thinking about you guys a lot. And hope everything is going well for you. So we got that going. Uh, of course, we want to thank all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. And I did want to point this out because we had a fairly nasty review that basically thought we were so stupid that we somehow think that if you're a member of the U.S. military in a serving in another country right now, that somehow we felt that you represent that country and not the u.s and that's not the case we're not quite that stupid as the um well you know how us hillbillies are but long and short of it is we realize that a lot of the other countries out there have militaries and they've got people serving there and they're away from their families just like our military is Mm -hmm. a lot of these are ally countries you know australia and canada and great britain and several others so no we're not pulling for militaries of countries that are fighting against us like iraq or syria or something like that that's not what we're doing but we are acknowledging the fact that people do lay their life on the line every day for their country just like our soldiers do absolutely so you sir are a nitwit yeah ass hat yeah go out into the outhouse and take a dump and think about it all right if you uh are struggling with depression if you're having a tough time and feel like that you need somebody to talk to please reach out to a professional at the suicide hotline 1-800-273-8255 or you can text at 741-741 if you're more of a texter or feel free to reach out to tracy myself Anybody that's part of our group, uh, the Hillbilly Horror Stories group, is a great support group. So I would highly advise uh, if somebody just wants some people and some shoulders to lean on, join our group. You'll get tons of support in there, and they're all like-minded people. Yes. We love you guys. Well, with that being said, it's been a cool week. 
a lot of good things happening, a lot of good things happening for the show. And we're just going to jump into our first story tonight. Sounds great, babe. All right. I'm excited. So like I said, we got two stories from South Africa. And we're going to start with the oldest and largest of South Africa's colonial buildings. We're talking about Africa's haunted castle, the Castle of Good Hope. Now, see, that don't sound like it should be haunted. Well, what a it doesn't, nice name. It sure is. <laughs> According to all the stories, anyway. So the Castle of, of Good Hope was, I guess, started in construction in 1666. Whoa. It took eight years before anyone ever moved into the castle in 1674. Here's a fun fact for you. The castle was so close to the sea that the moat around the castle was filled in by the high tide. Dang. So. They worried about that at all? Get a, get a couple of waves and. It's gone. You got it, you got it done. Well, it wouldn't be gone, but well, it wouldn't it's a be castle. Gone. True. Hopefully they built it a little better. Be a little like, sturdier than that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the castle used to be the residence for all the sitting governors in South Africa. So that's where, that was the governor's house. Now it's a museum with part of it's being used for uh, the fine art collection of William Fair. This place has a very dark history. You mentioned, you know, it doesn't sound like something mm-hmm. that uh, would be haunted. But when you start hearing some of these stories, you'll realize why it's haunted. Some of the castle has cells with graffiti on the walls. There's also a dungeon called the Donker Cat. Which means dark hole. Now, there are no windows in this little dungeon area. And supposedly, it was also a torture chamber. Oh, man. Lady Anne Bernard, she documented, uh, and we're going to get into her a little bit more as far as who she was. But she documented that during the course of one of the winters, uh, the winter floods came in and several convicts drowned. As the water rose about three feet above where they were chained mm-hmm. to the walls. You know, that's... They had no way of getting out. Yeah, there's like... That has to be a horrible in the feeling knowing that you're, there's nothing you're going to do. You're just going to drown. That's it. Can't do a thing about it. Nothing. So Lady Anne Bernard, like I said, she, uh, she was a writer from Scotland. And she lived in Cape Town for about five years from ni- uh, 1797 to 1802. So she did know a little bit, and mm-hmm. we'll find out a little bit later why she knew so much. But as you can imagine, with a, a castle this old, there are numerous tales of paranormal activity. And we're going to tell you about a bunch of those paranormal encounters right after this break from our sponsor. Hey guys, I wanted to tell you a little bit about tonight's show sponsor. That would be Robinhood. Now, Robinhood's an investment app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos all commission-free. And you know that's got to be important because, look, other brokerages charge you up to $10 for every trade. Robinhood doesn't charge commission fees. Trade all the stocks you want, keep all your profits. That's the way it should be. I absolutely love Robinhood. Back when uh, we first found out about this and started using it, I'll be honest with you, I didn't know anything at all about the stock market. I think I tried something one time before, but I didn't know what I was doing. The good thing about Robinhood is you actually learn while you're doing it. You can learn how to invest as you build your portfolio. You can discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, and personalize news feeds. I know I'm excited every morning when I get up because the first thing I do is pull it up and look and see if my stocks have done anything. 
uh, whether they haven't done anything. And then that gives me a chance to be able to look at some of these new companies and kind of follow along. And I feel like I'm on Wall Street or something. Here's what we're going to do here. Robinhood is giving all of you listeners out there a free stock. This are, are good stocks that are like Apple, Ford, Sprint. These are going to help build your portfolio. You're going to sign up at Hillbilly, H-I-L-L-B-I-L-L-Y dot Robinhood dot com. That's Hillbilly dot Robinhood dot com. Trust me, you guys, you're going to love this. Jump in it. Have some fun. Learn about the stock market. And who knows what could happen? Blood curdling screams, strange voices, footsteps terrify soldiers that are guarding the castle during the late night shifts. They ironically call this shift the ghost shift. The ghost shift? Yeah. That's fitting. They obviously believe that the explanation for these occurrences lies in the bloody history and the tortured souls that have passed since being there. So to this day, soldiers who guard the castle would rather walk all the way around the outside of the building than to pass through the haunted archways in the early morning hours. E. <laughs> You have to keep in mind that the castle was the center of the administrative and military activity in the Cape for about 150 years, but also the site of some gruesome punishment, torture, and executions. Mm -hmm. The castle sits right on Cape Town's ghost route, and this route is just basically a bunch of buildings that are all believed to be haunted. So we talked about earlier that soldiers hear footsteps between the two bastions of Leardom and Buren as sections of the castle. Mm -hmm. After World War II, not only were there sounds, but a floating human shape without legs were seen there in the same area. Many think that it's the ghost of a soldier who hung itself in the bell tower over 300 years ago. There's also a ghost of a sad-faced woman. She wears a long gray cloak and walks through the castle at nighttime. How about a party ghost? Are you up for that? I'm up for a party ghost, yeah. Well, some think that the spirit of Lady Anne Bernard may be one of those ghosts. Now keep in mind that we said that she lived in Cape Town for five years, right? What we didn't tell you is that those five years were in the castle. Mm. That's where she lived. Yeah. And she was here because her husband was the um, colonial secretary at the time. So that's where he lives, so she lived there as well. Lady Bernard has been seen at several functions that take place in the ballroom. She's always wearing a ball gown from that era. Maybe she was the one that got all the the events going. Do you know what I'm saying? So maybe she's still hanging around to make sure the events... Oh, I'm sure that's what it you know, was. You are, know, are being done properly. Maybe that's why she still hangs around. Yeah, well, she, during her time there, she, I think... We find out a little bit later that she, that was like her place. Uh -huh. She loved, you know, all the events and stuff there. Okay, good. Guards and staff say that there are way more to these ghosts than just spooky stories. Hilton Fredericks Hates works at the 2 a.m. to the 4 a.m. shift. He says bizarre things tend to happen during that time. One night, a guard heard somebody screaming for help. He also heard the voice coming from the dungeon. He goes to investigate, and there was nobody there. But he did feel a presence. His body became ice cold. His hair stood up on his arms and the back of his neck. Frederick said some guards refused to go by that dungeon. When they're making their rounds late at night, 
They say it feels like that there's a powerful force that tries to suck you in like a vacuum. Oh, my Lord. But what happens, though, if they refuse to go by there? Well, they don't. They just, um, uh, well, that's actually the part I'm getting ready to tell you. Oh, so I'm sorry. I'll answer that question okay. with this. But some don't even want to use the alternate route through the archway because they say they hear footsteps and um, other things have kind of happened in that area. It's mm-hmm. one of the more haunted parts, so they don't want to go there either. So instead, they walk all the way around the castle to get to where they're going. Because they just take the long way everywhere. That would be annoying after a while, I think. You would would think. So here's a couple of little stories from the castle. In 1952, a couple was given permission to spend a night there. This was during the uh, Van Rybeck Festival. Apparently, it's a big deal over. Mm -hmm. Actually, I think it's a Rybeck Festival. They were woken during the night by a Lance Corporal. He was waking up a bunch of soldiers, and they asked what was going on, and they were told that there was bus drivers and bus conductors having a protest and rioting out in the streets. Well, the next day, the couple tried to find out about the incident, and there was absolutely nothing in the newspaper about it. So they started asking the staff, you know, what happened during the night, and the staff had no clue what they were talking about. Oh, get out of here. (laughs) So they just apparently... Saw a bunch of ghosts that were soldiers and a Lance Corporal and all that. Whoa, none, they both none. saw it. That's yeah. just, that's really neat. But nobody else in the but hotel nobody saw else it. did. Next, we have the story of Ashley France. He was a tour guide and a guard at the castle. He had a very scary experience on his very first ghost shift in the 1990s. <laughs> he said it was pitch black outside, and they were walking through the archway near the dungeon. He got this really strange feeling... And then he saw someone waving at him. Well, he knew that there was only two of them on duty, and the other guard was on the other side of the castle. So he couldn't get out of there fast enough. He just basically hightailed it out. He tore his pants and scraped his shin on some barbed wire that was near the gate he was trying to get out of there so quick. Oh, my gosh. So did they not tell him about this place before he started work, I guess? I or guess. he had no clue? I don't guess so. Oh, my goodness. That's then, a great introduction. Then you got the longtime caretaker of the castle, A. Berg. He said that in his 10 years, he had seen plenty of paranormal activity. He said that one of the most terrifying experiences he ever had in his life happened when he had to spend a night after a function because there was no transportation to take him home. <laughs> oh, man. So during the night, he said he felt uh, a heaviness on his chest. He felt like his body was tied up. He couldn't move at all. He started kicking and screaming, and he said he eventually was able to shake himself free. He ran out of the room, and he stayed awake until sunrise. Oh, my gosh. I don't know how he did it. I've been scared to death. <laughs> well, I think he was. Yeah. Because the story I was reading said that whoever was conducting the interview with him at the time said that as he was telling the story, there was a look of terror on his face. So he obviously believes Mm -hmm. what he was saying. Then you got Carl Kopesky. He's an educating officer who works a lot of the late nights around there at the castle. He said there's definitely a presence there. He said sometimes it's just an uncomfortable feeling, but you're definitely not alone. You always feel like you're being watched. Uh, Yeah, that job doesn't interest me at all. Mm Mm-mm. Then you got a bunch of other cool stories. In 1915, there was a a six-and-a-half-foot-tall figure seen on the castle's battlements out there on the grounds. 
It was seen again in 1947. This time, though, it leaped over the battlements. And supposedly this was like a semi-luminous spirit, and it was seen several times in a, in a two- or three-week period. So, nice. That would have been cool to see, I think. They said it would, well, it might be. They said it walked between the uh, Leardom and the Orange Bastions and was seen jumping over a parapet. What's a parapet? That looked onto the Darling Street. A parapet is a low protective wall that like runs along the edge of like a ceiling or a rooftop or something like that. Well, why in the world would he go that way if he was six foot and a half tall? I don't know. I mean, why wouldn't he? He could jump over it. That's what he did was just jump over it. But he went through the things where, the, about the, like the arches were. Well, but I think he jumped and landed on the ground. Mm-hmm. So he was probably, I don't know. I don't know exactly, to be honest with you. So So did he go through the thing the guards didn't want to go through? or go I th- Yeah, that, that's part of where they were seen. seen. Okay. Yeah. So you got some parapsychologists that believe that when a ghost just suddenly appears, it's frequently, and, and over a short period of time like this one did, that it's usually because it was disturbed by some uh, either event or alteration in the environment. Oh. That's why a lot of times you'll see, like, when new construction or something. That's when spirits that's come when up or something. That's when all these spirits kind of come out. And like you said, this is the area where most of the footsteps are heard, mm-hmm. at least more than in the other areas. So this ghost may also be the same ghost who rings the bell in the bell tower from time to time. So could it be the guard who hung himself? After all, he did hang himself with the bell rope. Oh, he did? Yeah, we didn't talk about that earlier. Oh, man. I'd like to save a little excitement for the end of the stories. That had to be noisy as hell. Well. <laughs> hey, look, he's trying to wrap it around his neck and then the thing keeps doing it and no. What if somebody was like, Afterwards was like, "Hey, is that Bob?" Was, no, I think it's I think it's his brother, and he's a dead ringer. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That'd be bad. <laughs> Sorry, we didn't make jokes about suicide. Oh no, no, not at all. But it was still funny. Yeah, it was only funny because we don't know the guy. And it was three hundred years ago. No, either way. So anyway, we um, we've talked on rare occasions on this show about. Devil dogs, hillhounds, that type of mm-hmm. thing. It seems that they have one here at the castle as well. This large black dog leaps at visitors, but then immediately vanishes. Oh, I thought she was going to say, then he immediately licks them. No. Oh. No, it's not, not a heaven hound. It's a hillhound. Oh. Well, I mean, you know there's got to be a hillhound there. <laughs> it's only right. Then you got the uh, the Buren Bastion. Lights turn off there on you know, by themselves on a regular basis. Voices of a man and a woman arguing can be heard, heard near the guard room. I said heard. I, I know did you a, did. I did a, a true hillbilly hick. moment. Yeah, hick there. You hear them? <laughs> but, so you can hear a man and woman arguing outside, uh, or at least right there near the, where the guard room is. Now, when the guards went to look, all they would see is a shapeless figure. I'm trying to figure out. What's a shapeless figure? I'm trying to figure out. Because if it's a figure, it's got to have a shape to it. Yeah, absolutely. But that's what the story said. Yeah. So that's what I went with, mainly so I could make fun of it afterwards. Maybe there are a bunch of hillbillies. I don't know what's in South Africa. There's also an electric bell in the guard room that goes off regularly that may be related to another suicide in the early 1900s. So we mentioned Lady Anne Bernard a little bit earlier. She's the party ghost, remember? Mm-hmm. 
But she may also be the most romantic ghost of all. Because the governor at the time, Lord McCarty, left his wife in Great Britain and uh, he decided to live off-site. When that happened, that's how uh, the lady and Lady Anne and her husband was able to move in there. Because remember, he said usually it's for sitting governors. Yeah. And he was uh, like a colonial secretary. So he was able to be in there because the governor wasn't living there. So somebody had to handle all the entertaining and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. That's what he did. Well, she made the large hall of the cat residence into a large ballroom. Oh, okay. That's why she's always there. That was kind of her baby. That makes sense. She recorded everything about her stay in the castle in journals and drawings and stuff while she was there. Lady Anne's curly-haired, transparent ghost likes to appear at special events honoring important people at the castle. Yeah, that's awesome. There are some conflicting reports on, on this next part, though. Supposedly, according to some, she used to bathe in the dolphin pool, and recent renovations have increased her sightings. Now, the reason I say that that's kind of controversial is the pool was recreated based off of her drawings. So they redid it, and they Mm -hmm. used her drawings to see how it was. That's nice. But it said that she would bathe there in the nude. Mm -hmm. Now, remember, we're talking about late 1800s. So that wouldn't be the most normal thing to be out in a pool bathing in the nude out in the open. No, that's true. Some historians say that... That would have been shocking, and she must have bathed somewhere else more private. But other reports say, no, that's not the case. Possibly not the case anyway, because she would also bathe nude in a stream on Table Mountain. Mm-hmm. So she apparently just was like an exhibitionist or something. Yeah, good she for liked. Her. So she even wrote that an officer said that her plunging into the pool was unladylike. So chances are. She was quite the rebel rouser. So it said that during her five-year stunt, stint there that it was probably not long enough for to warrant her haunting the place, but her writings and drawings show that she found the place fascinating. So it's probably the highlight of her life, so why not come back? Lady Anne's drawing room in the castle has a cursed painting that hangs over top of the fireplace. It said that anyone who moves the painting will die. Even the dust? The dust is not going to move the painting. No, if you dust. Oh, it's... The furniture and stuff. Yeah, I don't think that's what they're talking about. I think they're talking about, like, taking it down. Oh. Well, they may have to take it down to dust the top of it, you know. I think they had ladders back then. (laughs) So it said that anyone who moves it will die. I don't think that's really the case because nobody's really died from it. I think they just made that up. It's a... Here's where this comes from, anyway. It's a painting of peacocks in a garden, and that's supposed to be symbolic. Nobody's sure what it's really symbolic of, but peacocks are symbolic of Juno, which was the wife of Jupiter. And Trojans, Hercules, and a bunch of other people found it dangerous to offend Juno. Hercules, Hercules. (laughs) During World War II, the painting was covered with a canvas. And this was probably just to protect it from damage, obviously. But the official statement about the canvas was this. The authorities have made special arrangements to prevent the spooky, sudden, the spook suddenly appearing and disturbing their work. I don't know why they would have put that out, but that's what the authorities put out there. Mm-hmm. Others say 
that behind the painting is the treasure of the Dutch East Indian Company. And we're going to talk more about them in our second story. But others think that it covers up a like a passageway, like tunnels, that lead back to the governor's house. And then we've got the last haunting that we're going to talk about. It's a lady in gray. Now, while we're on the subject, we had Danielle send us a message. Because you asked last week why all these women dressed in white. Mm-hmm. Well, apparently, back in those days, white was the cheapest fabric you could make. Dyes were very expensive. expensive. Oh, gotcha. So it cost a lot of money to dye. And what color do you think was the most expensive? Probably red. Black. Purple. <gasps> purple? Because purple was the most the expensive. Best. See, Ninja agrees. Ninja has no clue. He, he's colorblind. He's a dog. Like purple, don't you, Ninja Polly? Anyway, this lady in gray might be connected to a lady's skeleton that was unearthed near one of the castle's sally gates during the royal royal tour in 1947 the uh, royal family stayed there and princess elizabeth celebrated her 21st birthday there as well so during the royal stay the ghost was seen by several people including princess margaret in 1949 and this really isn't a story but it's just kind of a tidbit out there at the end but there's a painting of lord charlie somerset it makes dogs um, growl and snarl at it. Really? Just randomly. Oh. So, anyway, that's our story on the Cape of Good Hope castle. Yeah. Wasn't that great? That sounded like sarcasm. Like I said, we have a cool story from South Africa to end the show with. But before we jump into that, I wanted to first make sure that we give a special shout out to Robert Preachy, his princess, Julia. And their stepson, Aiden, they're in uh, Glasgow, Scotland. Thank you guys so much for listening and reaching out yes, to us. Yes, thank you guys. Amazing. All right, real quick, I want to talk about some of our shows got, we got coming up. Um, if you go to our website and go to live shows, you can get tickets there for any of the live events we got going right now. And the Sally House that we got coming up in August, there's a bunch of little side events. We got like the investigation of the Sally House, some haunted trolley rides, and a couple other things. They're all right there as well. So you can actually click there and it'll take you to their link and buy tickets for that. Because that's, uh, they're actually hooking that up. Haunted Atchison's doing that for us. I know. That's so nice of them. And we are so excited and cannot wait for that. I think I can wait, but I'm excited (laughs) as it's getting closer. The big event in Louisville is the first one we got coming up April 6th. And you guys bought up basically all the tickets we had for the other place. So now we had to switch venues. I know. And now you're still buying tickets. You guys so rock. Really cool. But I wanted to say, I talked to Tina Mattingly, who owns Waverly. And as of right now, there is only one tour available, 50 spots, and that's almost sold out. But she told me as things get sold out, they're going to add more tours. So there's a very good chance that there's going to be another tour added that night good. Uh, here in the upcoming weeks. or months. Sometime before uh, the show, it should be available. So yeah, if you're worried about tickets selling out, there will probably be more tickets available that night. Sounds great. And she wanted me to make sure that I told all you good people that since we're going to be at a bar and restaurant for four hours before going on a tour, that don't get drunk. Because <laughs> they can't allow anybody on the premises if it's obvious that they're um, yeah. under the influence. So, of course, that would be so know, dangerous. We, we, don't, we don't have a problem with that no, anyway, uh-uh. though. I mean, we've never 
you know, had anybody get, you know, drunk at the events. They're there for the show, and then that's just a little side thing for them. So, sure. But I did tell her that we would point that out. And she also wants me to point out, <laughs> she had a couple of things to point out. She also wants me to point out that um, we're having a lecture slash demonstration, presentation, I should say, from a demonologist, Bishop James Long, and she doesn't want anybody to think that that's tied in with demons at Waverly because that's not what that's about. It just happened to be the talk that was going on that day. So yeah, she was afraid that people would assume that, hey, there's a bunch of demons at Waverly. That's why we're having to talk about it before we go over there. <laughs> and that's not the case at all. Yeah. So anyways, those tickets are available. Like I said, there we've already sold 50-some tickets already and there's only 100 seats so snatch your tickets up now bobby mackey's is selling out really quick there's only 50 seats there i think we've sold 35 of those already atchison we've sold a bunch of those already kansas for the sally house so go go get all your tickets and snatch them up yeah let's go have fun together okay are we ready to dig into the second story sure thing this is kind of an interesting story because of the fact of I'll be willing to bet that almost everybody has heard of the subject, but I don't know if anybody, I know somebody does, but I mean, I don't know if most people, I should say, really know the story behind the Flying Dutchman. You've heard of the Flying Dutchman, right? No. You've never heard the term the Flying Dutchman? No, I have not. What rock do you live under? I don't know. (laughs) What about the Thrifty Dutchman? It's a hotel. I'm just kidding. The Thrifty Dutchman. (laughs) Anyways, <laughs> most people know at least that the Flying Dutchman is a ghost ship. Okay. But that's kind of where I think most people, including myself, I'm throwing myself in that same. I really didn't know anything about the story. I just, I've heard of the Flying Dutchman. I knew it was some type of a ghost ship, and that's all I knew. Heard of the Flying Nun. Not the same thing. Okay. And for our average listener, they're not old enough to remember the Flying Nun. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Told my age. Let's just say she's still alive. Well, you can tell your age by saying your social security number is seven. So. (laughs) Seven. That's good. All right. So, obviously, we've been talking about haunted locations on the Cape of Good Hope. And this story has its roots right there in the same general area. Even though it's a completely different type of haunting than what we usually talk about because most of the hauntings we talk about are buildings or possessions or something and this is a ship okay so this is the legend obviously the flying dutchman as discussed so the cape of good hope is known for its treacherous surrounding rocks in the water and terrible storms the cape of good hope has a nickname that's a little darker it's called the cape of storms Ooh. and the cape which is basically a rocky peninsula just kind of stuck out in the middle of the water is the final resting place for many ships that were unfortunate enough to unsuccessfully navigate the rocks on this beautiful but dangerous coast. That almost sounded professional, didn't it? It did. I mean, is it all underwater and that's why they don't see it? It don't stick out at all? No, I mean, the rocks stick out, but it's just like there's like millions of them. Just oh, instead of it just being... So if you, you got a zig or zag. You got a zig or zag or not go anywhere near the damn coast. <laughs> <laughs> why they go there then because it was kind of the easiest way to go which we were actually get, <laughs> well, no, I, mean, <laughs> I mean it was the shortest distance to go mm-hmm. i mean if you're looking at a map and you're coming from asia mm-hmm. 
you know, you would have to go down along the uh, west coast, I mean, sorry, the east coast of Africa, and then you come up that little tip because, you know, it's shaped like a big turkey leg, basically, Africa mm-hmm. is. So you'd have to come down to the bottom of the turkey leg and then you work your way up around going towards the top of the turkey leg to get where you needed to go. So, I mean, if you don't do that, you basically have to go way out into the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, you got to go way, way out into the ocean, not the Pacific, but you got to go way out into the ocean and then try to go in, which could put months onto a trip. So this is just the way you had to go. It was the shortest way around was to just go along the whole coastline of Africa. Dang. So it's iffy. And the Cape. Sure. Yeah. So anyways, trading ships that were from Europe, like we were talking about, and they were on their way to Asia, they would have to pass through this area. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. just the only way it really had to, had to be done. And one of the first to do so was a Portuguese explorer by the name of Bartholomew Dias. And he was followed by Vasco da Gama, which a lot of people have heard of. If you know anything about um, explorers and stuff, you know about Vasco da Gama. He was the first to sail directly from Europe to India, Vasco da Gama was. And it said that he was also the one who gave the Cape the name, the Cape of Storms. I, I kind of like that name, actually. Well, that's kind of cool. Yeah, I like it. So it's from here that the legend of the flying Dutchman, I guess we'll say, sets sail. That's right, I did that. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it odd that the flying Dutchman's a boat? Mm-hmm. I mean, think about that. It's the flying Dutchman. That's a ship. Yeah, that don't make no so, sense. But back then they didn't have planes, so. No, I that guess. still don't make no sense. No, but I guess that they figured that maybe if it was fast. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's maybe it's because of the fact that it was you can see it out on the horizon and it kind of disappears and stuff. Maybe that was the reason for it. I'm just glad they changed the name. They didn't change the name. Oh, well, it's the Flying you know Dutchman. <laughs> well, I know, but so anyway, the story behind the Flying Dutchman began in 1641 with a captain that was working for the Dutch East India Company. I remember we did our story earlier in the Cape of uh, the Castle of Good Hope, mm-hmm. and I said that when that came up, remember we were talking about the picture and said some people said that the treasure from uh, uh, that company, the Dutch East India Company, was behind the picture that was supposed to be haunted. And I said we would talk more about that. And it ties in to this story, which is one of the reasons I chose to do it. So the Dutch East India Company was a really big company back then, and it was just a trading company. So they would go over there and pick up spices and silk and whatever from Asia and then bring it back to Europe. And so, anyways, just a little, little background now. Then you've got Hendrik van der Deken. And his crew were returning to Holland from the Far East. So as we discussed a little bit earlier, they had to risk this dangerous passage around the Cape. And according to the legend, when the ship attempted to kind of round the Cape right there, a huge storm blew in. Vanderdeken was determined to sail through it, regardless of the fact that, that it was going to be super dangerous and the storm was there. He's like, you know, he said that... It's like, I got this. <laughs> pretty much. Hold my beer. So, <laughs> so he pretty much had made a vow that he would navigate the uh, chaotic waters and the screaming winds if it took him to doomsday to accomplish it. That's what he, his crewmates said. To the well, end. you know what? I give it to him. He was he was just going to go for it. Good for him. Then there's other people to say that there was an angel that appeared to him and uh, Vanderdeken shot at it. And that pretty much sealed the ship's fate right there. Why would you shoot at an angel? I have no idea. That angel's like, bitch, I was trying to help you. Maybe he couldn't spell and thought it was an angle. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what a dumb butt. So the Flying Dutchman is said to appear as a ghostly glowing ship. And it will suddenly materialize 
uh, just out of nowhere and then vanish just as suddenly mm, as it came. That would be cool to see that, though. Now, some think the ship... Oh. <laughs> Damn, Ninja. Some think the ship and its crew are doomed to sail the ocean and the seas forever. Even worse, it's believed that many think that if you see the Flying Dutchman, it's an omen of something horrible uh, that's getting ready to happen to you or just any type of misfortune that's going to happen in the area. That's a good thing none of them were seasick. (laughs) If you have to sail forever and ever. Well, I'm pretty sure if they're used to being on ships anyway, it wouldn't matter. Yeah, but I think every day for the eternity would be a bit much. Every day with being with Megan Fox for eternity would be a bit much. So that goes for anything. not an awkward silence at all. (laughs) So there's some written accounts about the Flying Dutchman in 1790 and 1795, but it really became a legend when the subject of Richard Wagner's 1843 opera called The Flying Dutchman came out. There's another origin of the story, though, oddly enough, that involved the exact same company. There was a captain named Bernard Falk, or Falkenberg, it depends on the story that you're reading, who also sailed for the Dutch East India Company. Now, he was able to sail from Amsterdam to Indonesia in just three months, which was an astronomical speed Well, I was going to say, I mean, I know it, I don't know how far that is away from each other, but that says, sounds pretty quick. It's pretty far. And he was so fast at doing this that it led other, uh, I guess, captains and stuff to speculate that he traded his soul for amazing speed during a game of dice with the devil. Oh, I thought he might have put some uh, nitrous oxide on his tank or something. Did you know they way. didn't have electric motors back then? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I can see. Hey, throw some of this nitrous on your coal. These ships, <laughs> these ships weren't even powered by that. They were, you know, mm-hmm. they were sails and, you know, it was how they were so... I don't know if you can put nitrous on a sail, but I guess. I don't know, but that's too bad for them because nitrous is the bomb. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) It's so weird. Anyway, let's talk about some of the sightings. The most interesting account came from Prince George on July 11th, 1881. Now, Prince George would later become King George V. Interesting tidbit. Yeah. He and his older brother, Prince Albert Victor, were just kind of sailing along near Australia and it was part of a three-year journey, on, you know, that they were doing. Mm-hmm. They were on board the ship HMS, I think it's Bashant, but I'm not 100% sure. The crew reported the Flying Dutchman. They said it appeared in a glo- as a glowing red light, and it was about 4 a.m. in the morning. So when the Bashant kind of approached the spot where they had seen it, there was no trace at all of the ship, even though it was a perfectly clear night. So after the sighting, the crewman, the actual crewman himself, who spotted the Flying Dutchman, fell to his death from the top mast. What? You're serious? Well, I don't joke about crewmen falling from their mast. He was the only one on there? He was the only one that fell. Oh, I thought you acted like he was the only one on the ship. No, he was the one who saw and reported. I'm sorry, he fell. This only proved um, the legend that occurred as far as they were concerned. Yeah, if this guy sees it, then he falls to his death. Yeah. So there you go. Mm. In 1939, 
There was a resident of Cape Town, South Africa, who claimed to see a vessel under full sail before it suddenly disappeared. Then, during World War II, a German submarine, uh, submarine crew saw the ghost ship in the um, Suez Canal. British writer Nicholas Monsarrat also spotted a ghost ship during his time with the Royal Navy in World War II. He died? Oh, eventually. I'm sure he did. This was back in the, you know. Oh, I thought everybody that looked at it just croaked. No, that's not really how it works. Oh. So the question is, are there really ghost ships? Do you think there can be a ghost ship? I do. I really do. Well, you know, we had a listener write us, and it was actually good questions, and I'll bring it up because I thought it was a pretty cool uh, analogy, but it was like, you know... When you talk about ghost ships and stuff like that, how can there be a ghost ship? I mean, if it's, oh. if we believe in spirits and the spirit having a soul and maybe the spirit showing up or something, but how does a ghost ship appear? Oh, I get you. I, well, I don't know. And then his no. other thing was like, how if you see a ghost, would they be carrying a suitcase? Where would they get the suitcase from? Where How would there be a ghost suitcase or their clothes or material? I don't know, but you know what? That, sh- that movie, The Ghost Ship, I think it's called for real. Yeah. That was the most disturbing movie I have ever watched. Like right at the beginning when the little yes. line cut everybody in half? What the heck? I cannot even. That movie really traumatized me for a while. Oh, the how horrible. horrible. It's, what do you mean? Horrible like horrible? It's horrible? just horrible. It sucks. Oh. Oh. So. Oh, why would you do that? Why were they sliced in half like that? <laughs> but you want the physics part of it? Because I think it had something to do with that rope just cutting them in half. Oh, my Lord. I can see that happening, though, if it came through quick enough. Oh, my! I mean, I guess it could. Sorry. I mean, I just made me think of that movie, and it's just terrible. But I don't know how a ghost, I mean, a ship could be a ghost. I don't know. What if I told you there might be a scientific explanation? Why don't you? It's called Fata Morgana, and that's a phenomenon that occurs when light reflects and bends through different uh, temperature of the air. That's cool. So the surface of the ocean is the perfect medium for this anomaly to, to happen. This is especially true if someone sees a shimmery mirage along the horizon, which is a lot of time what you would see in this situation mm-hmm. with a ship. Mm-hmm. This is kind of the, the same thing as we've all seen this before. This is something I think we can relate to. But if, if you ever like a really hot day. And you're looking at the asphalt. And oh, yeah, and kinda, it's kind of wavy You or can kind of see the waves. Yeah. That's the exact same thing. Oh, that's what they see. That's what they see on the ocean. But that's the reason you see that. That's the, the heat waves and stuff coming off. Same, it's the exact same principle. When either of these things happen, you can see shapes from the uh, out in distance due to the blaze of the light. Mm-hmm. Like the moon or is that what you're talking about? Like maybe even the, the moon reflects? Because they only see it at night, right? That's true. They only, they've only they saw it this time at night, but a lot of times it's during the day. But, yeah, I would think the moon reflecting on the water and shining up and stuff will help cause all that. So You know, I guess I understand, but I think it would be so weird, though, to see it in the daytime. Well. I mean, I guess where the sun, ever the sun hits, and like you said, too, with the The, the reflection, reflection of the sun coming off, it would probably mm-hmm. be even more likely to see during the daytime. Yeah, that's true. So it's possible that sailors might think that they see a ship on the horizon and you know in reality it looks like it's actually beyond the horizon Mm -hmm. 
And that's because the light bends around the curve of the earth at just the right way that makes it seem like that. So by the time the sailors who witnessed this phenomenon actually get to the spot where they think they see the ship, it's gone. Yeah, cause... And that's because it was never there to begin yeah. with. It mm-hmm. was just basically a lights playing trick with your eyes. So it's the old adage of your eyes playing tricks on you, basically. Mm-hmm. So the fact that the sightings of a ghost ship cause sailors to go insane and then die is either just coincidental or bad luck or psychosomatic. In other words, sailors died upon seeing something that they really couldn't explain. So they freaked out a little bit. And maybe, you know, like maybe this guy, for example, when he fell off the mast, maybe he was so scared at what he saw that it frightened him and he lost control and fell off. Or maybe in his head, like some of the others in their head, they, they saw this, so they thought they were doomed. Therefore, there it was just, you know, if they think it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And it was just their own brain caused them to either have heart attacks or or fall off of something like that or you know whatever the case it might be something that they mentally caused without willingly knowing they mm. did it that's terrible so anyway that's Dang the story ship. of the flying dutchman hmm it was a good story and that's the story for this week dang i know it was a fun week uh a very disturbing story coming next week. Oh, gosh. So I'm just going to tell you ahead of time. It's going to be one that's not going to be for everyone. I'm just going to tell you ahead of time. There'll be two stories, and I think probably what I'll do is I'll do the easier story in the beginning. That way if people say, hey, uh, I don't want to listen to the horrible story because it's horrible. Why are we doing it? Because sometimes things just got to be done, damn it. Mm. You were all for the guy who was willing to just go for the cape. And the rocks and stuff and not bother, but you don't want us to do a... Well, this sounds even worse, though. (laughs) I'm not looking forward to it, I don't think. No, you won't be. While we're on the subject of disturbing stories, let's talk about Patreon real quick. Because, well, I'm under the impression, because we forget, and half the time we'll mention Patreon, but we don't mention about how to join Patreon. And we get somebody almost every week that says, hey, how do you do that? Mm -hmm. Or what exactly is it? Because we just mentioned Patreon supporters and stuff, which we got to do now. Oh, yeah, yeah. And we kind of forget that not everybody knows about Patreon. Mm-hmm. So, first of all, here's how this goes. We do extra episodes. So, if you like this show, this is the free version, uh, and it's going to be the, the bulk of it. We do a show every week. But if you want more and you're caught up or you want the extra or you just want to listen all day long without running out, we do little short stories that we do about six of them a week and you get anywhere between one and six, depending on what your monthly pledge is. So Patreon is basically a way that you can donate to the show, help the show go help us buy new equipment. Cause that's what we use it for live shows, new equipment, travel to these live shows. And we do that based on monthly donations in return. We give you guys stuff. For example, those little short stories. So we do one every day. They're about five to eight, 10 minutes long. Every day there's one. But you can donate a dollar a month. A dollar a month gets you one of these every week. So you get four extra little mini episodes. We also have a drawing for a shirt every month that Patreon will not allow me to mention on Patreon because apparently it's got something to do with legalities that we can't, you know, only offer giving something away. So we used to list it on there that you were put in for a drawing every month as well for a T-shirt. We're still doing that. We just can't list it. So there you go. So every month, if you donate a dollar, you get 
for those extra episodes and you get mentioned like we do here you get your name mentioned and you get a drawing for a t-shirt there's a three dollar pledge and a three dollar gets you two extra episodes a week of the little minis but it also gets you a full-length bonus episode that we do the first of every month then there's a five dollar pledge the five dollar gets you three little bonus episodes a week so now you're looking at what 12 bonus episodes a month and the full bonus episode we just told you and we do another full bonus episode the 15th of every month that's just like the regular shows you hear you get all that for five dollars that's that's probably the best bargain out there for ten dollars you get four bonus episodes a week so now you got 16 bonus episodes a month of the little minis then you get the two full length you get your name put in for a shirt and then you start getting discounts like for example uh, 10 percent off of anything in the store if you want to order it then you also after your sixth month you get a free shirt that we send to you and then the last level we have is 15 dollars. you get uh what do you get six episodes six bonus episodes a week not a month a week so you get 24 a month for being part of the 15 and the two full-length episodes and the free shirt and I think a partridge in a pear tree. <laughs> so anyway, we, we hadn't broken breaking that down in a long time, but we just wanted to tell you. So if you do want to help the show out and you want to donate, we give you a bunch of, of content to try to make it worth your while. And then we sometimes will throw some stuff on there on Patreon that everybody else doesn't get to see. Sometimes some, like we go somewhere and post some video. So sometimes we'll put that on Patreon and we let them choose uh, the people on Patreon. will do little polls and let them choose what some of our next stories are and stuff like that. So you get a little, some other behind the scenes advantages and stuff. True. But the most important thing you guys do for us are our iTunes reviews. Very big. iTunes reviews are huge. No charge. Yeah, no charge at all. If you've got uh, iTunes already, like on your uh, Apple phone or an iPad, it's easy to leave a review. Uh, it's a little harder if you've got an Android. You have to do it from a computer, but you can sign up for iTunes on a computer and leave one that way, but we understand it's a little bit a pain in the ass. So Tracy is going to read you the iTunes reviews real quick. And I'm telling you right now, I'm going to mess them up. Just letting you know. All right, the first one is Dusty Cow, Tweedle D, Mandy Shoe, Unsatisfied, 555, even though it sounds terrible, but he gave us a great review. <laughs> Shane, 2479, Bucky, 500, Junior G Man, Moki Butt Clippers, Lalina, Alikapeka. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Elena, I'm sorry, honey. I don't know how to say your name. E-L-I-K-A-P-E-K-A. We love you. Sorry, honey. Trilly19, Covenmaster101, Liz C127, Rick240, Maz1102-1971, from your favorite hillbilly. Hmm. And Sunny Stillwater. I like how you felt like you had to do a hillbilly voice like you don't already have one. I know. Though, so thank you for those reviews. They were so very nice. Very nice and really, we really appreciate it. So, um, And then we're going to get on to our Patreons. Now, the Patreons, I'm going to butcher some names too. And uh, 
just to show you that some people really like what they've got, um, the first two we're going to mention were people who started at a lower level and they've raised to a higher level each month, a higher Thank tier. You which guys. You are so it means amazing. they donate more and get a few more. So that means hopefully that most people feel like they're getting their money's worth. I hope so. So the first one we're going to have is Lisa Powell. She edited from $5 up to 15 Thank, Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Lisa. Jim Story edited from $3 up to the $5 tier. Thank you, honey. We had Karen Burles. Then we also had, this is where I'm going to screw up the name. Please apologize in advance. Sarun Starkushin. I'm sure I butchered it, and I apologize. Thank you, Sarun, honey. We appreciate you so much. You guys are amazing. Yeah, we thank you so much for that. And uh, like I said, that's that wraps up this week's show uh, where we're trying to make everybody happy with the new format. So hopefully mm-hmm. you guys are, are liking it. This is the second show in from the new format. We do love you guys so much. I mean, we're getting excited about our live shows coming up because we can't wait to meet you guys. We're so excited. And, and I want to say this one. This is... Um, I'm trying to say this with it sounding right and like not like it's a begging you to do something because it's not. But, you know, when we said we were going to change the format, what a lot of you guys was, was saying to us is how we really like the banter mm-hmm. uh, against you guys. And I, and I don't think we've really cut much of the banter out. We just moved some stuff around so we get into the show a little bit quicker. Mm-hmm. But on the Patreon shows, it's all banter. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm saying, but we have fun on the Patreon shows. It's not quite as you know, structured is what this is. We still tell you some stories, but we have a little more fun. It's a little more laid back. Um, so if you do like the banter, there's plenty of it on there. Just giving you the heads mm-hmm. up. And right now, if you signed up for Patreon, just so you know, whatever level you sign up on, you get all the past shows too. Oh, yeah. And like say you signed up at the $15 level just because that's the easiest for me to do the math on. We've got, hell, probably 160 with 170 shorts mm-hmm. already on there and then on those are all you know five to ten minute episodes and then we've got a year and a half worth of uh two shows a month of regular so you're looking at 12 24 somewhere around 36 to 40 full length shows so if you was to just sign up today you would instantly have about 40 some free shows and uh, of the full length shows and 160 some shorts immediately that's amazing and you don't have to pay anything to start you start up you sign up at whatever tier you want they don't take any money out to the first of the month so you could even go on now and try it for a couple of weeks just to see if you like it or not and mm-hmm. then if you don't like it at the end of the month just unsign up yeah but so. don't <laughs> <laughs> we love you guys though honestly and, and i'm sorry that seemed a little long-winded but we forget that not everybody has been listening to the show forever. There's a lot of new listeners mm-hmm. and a lot of more unaware of what Patreon was. So yeah, hopefully you all know now. Yeah, well, you guys have a blessed week, and weeps keep going. And before you know it, it'll be springtime. The next Patreon show, by the way, which comes out Tuesday, is as disturbing as next week's regular show. So if you She's like disturbing, Pete. I know this one's this one's really going to be. We'll probably have to have disclaimers on both of them. I'm not going to cry. Yes. You probably will mm-hmm. on, on the Patreon show. We're doing Albert Fish. And for those of you who are true crime freaks out there, you'll know exactly who Albert Fish is and you'll already know what you're getting into. Mm-hmm. So, and if you want to hear the story, you're not a member, guess how you can get it. <laughs> hmm. So anyways, thank you guys. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye guys. Okay. So.